Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Easter hangover or not, but man, last week, all I remember was passing out after eating about 400 pounds of food. My brother-in-law went to Porto's. If you haven't been to Porto's, it's in, um, I think it's in uh, Buena Park, right? And uh, I think he was hungry when he went there because he picked up cakes and croissants and chocolate croissants, and, uh, and then I guess they're famous for those little, like those croquettes, the potato balls with meat in them. And I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. Like we ate outside on our patio, and then I think I rolled myself in and fell asleep on the ground underneath underneath the uh, little cabinet area. It was a mess. I woke up and I saw that everyone in our house had been passed out um, from overeating and overindulging on on Easter. I hope your Easter was amazing. Brenton brought a phenomenal word, an amazing invitation to a risen Savior. And if you haven't listened to it. Uh, go back, um, YouTube and Facebook, um, even our live page has it as well. Such a good word, um, an invitation to that risen story of Jesus Christ. Um, we have some new camera people, so I'm going to really test them out today. I'm going to go really crazy. I'm going to go way over here. We never use this side of the stage. I don't see them moving, but oh, there they are. I'm going to go way over here too. I'm just going to keep them on their toes, and they're hating me right now. So I'm going to use a whole stage today. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that, but I just want to see how they were doing. I want to see if they can keep up with me. Hey, last week you noticed something, and you may notice something as well, and this is important. Um, Brenton brought not only a good word, but he brought some really cool pants. And so I thought, I got I to gotta up my pant game too. So I, I, I wore these pants because I want to make sure my pant game is as excellent as his pant game. And I just know that right now that Nikki's going, oh, shoot. What is my pant game going to be next week, right? It's all about the pant game. So, Bren, good job on elevating us past blue jeans and into salmon and ruffs and all these cool things. So, e- <laughs> Easter was fun. Easter was awesome. The message was good. Um, and what, what's, what's more important, if you've never heard the message of Easter, I want to recap that a little bit. This Jesus who died on Good Friday... He, he rose. He rose on Sunday. He conquered death. And that, and that tomb that was holding him didn't. The stone was rolled back and he conquered death. And that's the victory that we as Christians stand in. right? And so if you hadn't heard that message before, if you weren't here last week, I need to share that message about Jesus conquering death. And that's why we believe he is who he says he is. Right? So you're with me today. He conquered death, and he is risen. So if Easter Sunday last week was about um, the death in the tomb trying to hold Jesus in, then this Sunday is about a room trying to lock and doubt trying to be locked in. See, the, the tomb was trying to hold Jesus in, and this room is trying to lock in doubt. And where am I going with this, you ask? 
I have a passage I'm going to be in. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in John 20, 19 through 30. Um, we're going to read it in a moment. But something crazy happens. After, after this miracle story, this he is risen excitement, this energy that we leave, that we leave from last Sunday, that same very day, something creeps in. It's doubt. And I don't, I don't know where each of you is at, but doubt is real. And I, I just want to say that, um, you know, Shirley and I, when we were first dating, and I really, really, really liked her. I don't know if some of you young people know what it is to really, really, really like somebody, but that's just before loving them, right? And I really, really liked Shirley, but um, I wasn't sure, like, if she really, really, really liked me the same way, right? And so um, every once in a while, she would be like, um, I'd be like, hey, do you want to hang out? And she'd be like, Oh, no, I'm going to head to Newport with my friends. And so then um, when that really, really, really like thing, it's just kind of dissipated, right? Because I had doubts because she chose to go do something away from me. And I, I don't know what your doubts in your personal life have been like, but maybe, and maybe it looks like this. Maybe a doubt might be like, hey, maybe I'm not the right person for that promotion. Maybe, maybe I'm not the right person for um, that project. Um, maybe that school is not the right school for me. Um, maybe my next step, I'm, I'm having doubts about it, right? And that's how it might show up for you in a, in a personal way, but I, I believe that doubt is real. I believe it, it, it is real, and we can't escape the fact that doubt is real. There's personal doubts. There's the relational. There's school. There's work-related. There might even be doubt about this crazy story of Jesus. I'm putting it out there. There might be doubt about this is Savior. There might even be Bible doubts. As, as someone who grew up in the church, you hear these stories about Jonah and the whale, and you go, whoa, that's a crazy story. <laughs> I love you, God, but that's a wild one. Oh, and, and Noah and the ark? That's okay. I love you, God, but that's a, that's a good one. I'm going to trust you. I mean, and then we get to last Sunday, and we have someone being raised from the dead. And some of you might even have a fear of even saying that. That's hard to swallow. That's hard to believe. And I, I guess I wanted to break the tension and say that I think the church has oversimplified it. See, I think that they've basically said that faith is greater than doubt. They've made this equation that if you are strong enough in your faith, that there's no way you'll doubt anything. I also think that they've made this equation that um, doubt equals apathy. Like, I'm resigned to not doing anything. I've given up. I'm no longer looking. I'm disinterested. I'm past the point of even wondering anymore. I'd say to you that the church has probably done a bad job of welcoming people with their doubt. The church should be a place that has wide open doors, that doubt is welcomed in, 
Because I know what I've experienced, and you know what you've experienced, but how are we doing? How are we doing with people that haven't experienced what we've experienced? How are we doing with that? Well, I have some slides. I have some slides, and I, I want to show them to you. I, I, really, I really think it's, it's, it's good because um, I'm just one man talking, but there's this organization called the Barna Group, Barna Organization. They're out of Ventura, and they do... Um, they do surveys, and a lot of them are religious-based, but they do other types of surveys, too. And we know what surveys are like. You know, the, I've never been part of a survey, but I guess they factor in a 1,000 people, and they call them, and they ask them, you know, what do you think about this subject? And the, the one study they did was on the study of doubt. I'm assuming it's on behind me. Someone nod and say it's on behind me. Okay. So they contacted Christians, people who say they're Christians, followers of Jesus. They contacted them and said, where are you at with doubt? Now, I want you to trust these graphs, even though it doesn't add up, and they're very intelligent, because if you add those numbers up, it's 101%, right? That's what some of you are thinking, but let's get past the fact that those guys are really smart at what they do, and they round it up on the 35% that have no doubts whatsoever. I doubt that they have no doubts, but that's 35%. But there's 66% of the people that go to church actively involved with Christianity and following Jesus that have doubts. 66%. That's a significant number. The next slide would show you that uh, when someone does have doubt, when one of us in this room does have doubt, that uh, the first thing 45% of them do is they stop going to church. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a slap in the face to someone like myself who deeply cares about people coming to church, knowing Jesus, being discipled in their relationship with God. 29% they stop reading the Bible. 29% stop praying. That's staggering statistics when it comes to the subject of doubt. The third slide will knock you off your feet. I go all the way down to where do you go when you have doubt? The first number, I believe, is you go to friends or family, which I think is awesome, assuming your friends and family can help you with your doubt. But way down that list, Pastor Brenton and Pastor Nikki and Pastor Sean sit at 18% that there's a chance that they're going to talk to us about their doubts. Here we are, professional non-doubters, professional Jesus lovers, and no one comes to us, a mere 18% come to us. It's a staggering number. But you as a community of believers, us as professional non-doubters, it should upset us. It should upset us because maybe the church hasn't done a, a great job at making room for doubt. I want to propose something to you. As we move into scripture, I want to propose a different formula so that your eyes might be open. I don't, I don't think that faith is greater than doubt. I think that faith and doubt can coexist. I think that you can have faith in Jesus and you can have doubts about some of the parts that you don't fully understand. I believe that you can step into your faith in your doubts and grow in them. I believe they can coexist, and I, I want to make that space for each of you because maybe inside of you there are a few things that you're doubting and you're questioning and you're wondering and you had questions about and you're not even sure if those, those pastors, Brent and Sean and Nikki, are someone you should talk to because we're way down on the 18%. But I'm telling you that 
they can coexist. Doubt and faith can coexist. I also want to propose that doubt is completely the opposite of apathy. I think doubt shows that you actually care. You've taken the time to to say, I'm struggling with that. If you didn't care, you wouldn't doubt. You only doubt about things that you care about. And so I want to make that point to you too. If there are areas that you're pushing into when it comes to this Jesus story, I want to give you space to say that those doubts, they're a beautiful thing. There's a safe space for, here, you, for you here at Refuge. I believe Refuge is on mission with a purpose to make sure that, that, uh, that those who um, haven't met Jesus get to meet Jesus, and those who had met Jesus and had a bad interaction through a church or a person get another opportunity. Introduced and reintroduced is our mission and model at Refuge. And I believe there's a safe place for doubters here at Refuge. If you will, turn with me. The scripture we're going to, it may make sense to you if you had your Bibles open. We're going to a passage that's about the doubting Thomas. That kind of is a bummer that a poor guy's whole summation is wrapped up in the fact that he's a doubter. You've heard the term before, I'm sure. It gets used in business terms and Man, if your name is Thomas and you ever doubt something, it gets used on you all the time, too. So I feel bad for all the Thomases in the world. I'm in John 20. I'm in verse 19, if you'll follow along. I think it's on the screen, too. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now here, pay attention. Now Thomas, also called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand on his side, I will not believe. So a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked again, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Hey, Thomas, put your finger here on my side. Put your, reach out your hands and put it on my side and put it on my hands and stop doubting and start believing. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miracles and signs in the presence of disciples, which are not recorded in this book. They're written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I love this passage. It's a very familiar passage. If you've been going to church any amount of time, There's a few points I just want to pick out of that passage that I think are important. They're not my main points, but 
I think Thomas gets a bad rap. I'll be honest with you. I think it's not fair that uh, we make fun of doubting Thomases. I think this story is um, an injustice to those that might have doubts. And I also think it gets misinterpreted because I don't think that it's very fair that um, if they're the ones in the room that started this name, <laughs> they got to see Jesus' hands and feet. He appeared to them, right? So just because he asked to see Jesus' hands and feet as proof um, doesn't make him any less doubting. I, uh, I hope that you'll think of Thomas in a different way. Another point I want to make is the room was locked. And yes, there's a light that keeps going on and off. So if you're wondering, like, what's flickering, it's not me, and I'm not illuminating and not illuminating. So <laughs> I just want to break the ice because I can feel it. Like, <laughs> um, the room was locked. Why is that significant? I think it's significant because the mystery of Jesus, as they lock themselves in, um, he and his supernatural ability appeared to them. And it wasn't just a, a ghost. It was so important to the, the writers of this that John would point out that he was physical, that you were able to touch him, and there was the ability to touch him. So it was just not an apparition. It was, it was Jesus as a whole. A third point I want to make is pay attention to the fact that it took a, a week from the moment that Thomas said, um, I, I'm not sure, I believe you, friends, what you said you saw, um, Jesus didn't appear right away from the moment of his doubt. It, it took a little bit of time. It took a week for him to appear. I think a good last small point I want to make is Thomas doubted, and he was allowed to stay. This is something the church does not do very well. This is something that Refuge wants to do really well, is that they said, Thomas, even though you don't believe what we say, we want you to stay. And that's a very important point. Where I want to land and where I want to stay and what I want to dig into is this last point. Thomas is me. Thomas is you. I've had doubts. I've had questions. I've had fears. I, I've had brokenness. I've, I've, I've um, gone through periods in my life where uh, it, church to me was a thing I checked off. Many of you don't know my whole story, but most of my life I went to church. Most of my life, church was a thing I just did because that's what we did as a family. We checked that box off. I can't even remember in my teens or even my college age if anyone said, hey, do you even know who Jesus is? The church I went to was phenomenal in community, but it, it, it struck fear in me. I had a fear of God, not a love of Jesus. And that was something that I needed to learn later on in life. There's a passage in Luke. We sang about it here a second ago. I love it. It's this passage about, about how the shepherd goes after the one and he leaves the 99 behind. It's a beautiful story. It's a great message. It's such a redemption story for those people that have, have say, left, have have turned away, have even fallen away, or, or have, even, have even just been unsure and wandered off. And we have a Jesus who says, I'm, I'm willing to leave the 99 and go after the one.
What a beautiful story. Preston Ulmer is a, a friend of Brenton and ours. He's not a name you would recognize. He, he um, had a church in Denver that I loved. He called it the Doubters Club. What a cool name of a church. And what he did is his mission and his purpose and his goal was to unite people that didn't know Jesus, unite people that um, were atheists and, and, and people that had been hurt by the church and people that were just broken and, 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 and blend them with people that had a soft and tender love for Jesus Christ. In this doubters club, they had conversations. They didn't look for quick answers. Years upon years, they sat together and muscled through challenging scripture, challenging preconceived notions, uh, hurts. He said it this way. Church needs to figure out how to pastor the 99 so they are compelled to go after the one. I love that. I love that, that if anything that Brenton and I can do well and, and Nikki and anyone who speaks is that you would leave here and feel compelled to go after the one, that you, your heart would be turned for the one. In 2008, my, um, my life flipped upside down. I've shared a little bit about that. Uh, my business uh, was going bankrupt. The economy was crashing. Uh, I just bought a building with all of our retirement money, uh, and we thought it was the best thing we could have ever done. We bought this warehouse and offices, and I tricked it all out with glossy cement floor and sliding enclosures instead of offices, and it couldn't have been a cooler. Lamps that were hanging off the ceiling that were Italian, and, and I was so excited about this place, and business was booming right before that. And then I don't know if you remember that, or some of you might not be old enough to remember, but like a brick wall, the economy stopped. I remember my creditors called and said, uh, the credit line has stopped, and I remember going to the store one time, the Amex didn't work. There was no longer giving me credit. Amex always would just give me money, <laughs> and then it stopped. We were broken. It wasn't just financially. Our marriage was, was rattled. Bad decisions had been made, and we had been going to church. As I mentioned to you, it was much like a box that we had checked off. Man, as long as God continued to give us everything that we wanted, I would continue to show up at church and give him an hour. We were devastated. We were fighting for our marriage. We were fighting for our home. We were fighting to hold on to employees. We laid everyone off. That was a hard day. I smile, but I really want to cry was one of the most painful days to walk everyone in just before Christmas and say, I'm out of money. I was out of money. I used every bit of money. I had our retirement money, our credit lines to keep my employees. Our world fell apart. There was even something in me that thought that with the mistakes that I had made that I would lose my family. I wasn't going to lose my family over over the fact that uh, we were losing money. Just ego had gotten in the way and bad decisions were made. And there was a place where I just thought, it's, I'm not going to be able to keep it. It was at home, laying in bed on a Sunday morning. And I can remember hitting the snooze button 
because this Sunday I wasn't going to church. This Sunday I was done. I was done with this God. I was pretty broken. I knew the wife next to me was broken. I knew the kids knew something was going on, and my daughter's in here, and she doesn't know the full story, but she knows that we went through a hard time during that time. But I got a phone call. I don't normally answer my phone. I keep my ringer off by my bedside, and I might have been on it. And my best friend, Malad, said, hey, you're coming to church with me today. I'll tell you, I was on the cusp of walking away from my faith, from how hurt and broken I felt, the doubts about who he was and how he was supposed to show up, my failures. I had a friend that invited us to church, and I rolled over and I said, hey, Cheryl, we're going to go to church. I told you last night we weren't going to go to church. I'll go wake the kids. Went in their rooms and Isabella, well, she's up because she gets up at 6 in the morning and she writes and journals and is in scripture and sings and dances. And, and that by 6.30, she's done more than uh, most of the world has ever seen. So, and she was like, okay, Dad. And we loaded up the car and we drove the hour to go to church, my friend's church. Why am I telling this, this story? See, I think my best friend... He went after the one that day. He showed up and knew my doubts, and he fought for me to stay. And we went to church that Sunday. He did bribe me with brunch. I'm not going to lie. That might have been the reason I said yes, free food and hanging out with friends. Thomas says something in that scripture. He says, my Lord, my God. And I think that... um, We went to church that Sunday because my friend invited us. Our doubts about was God going to heal us? Was God going to recover the story? Was God going to redeem us, our brokenness? Is God going to fix this? Is God who he says he really is? We're not fixed immediately. But along the way, we took our doubts and we're able to say, my Lord, my God. He changed. He changed the story for us. A friend stepped in. And so I guess I'm compelled to ask if, um, if on Easter he can't be locked into a tomb. And on Thomas Sunday, as they call it, he can't be locked out of a room. Is there anything that is off limits in your heart with him? I uh, want to finish with this. The worship team is going to come forward. I want to resolve this for you, this tension. This Jesus, as I was preparing for this message, I thought, well, if there is question about who Jesus is in anyone's heart, I want to do my best and be my kindest about the Jesus that I've experienced. See, I, I, I have met him firsthand. I I have touched his hands and felt the scars on his side through the love of my friend. My friend friend was the physical presence of, of Jesus to me. The brokenness he invited me into. 
and said, this Jesus is real and he's available. We too will leave here today being the physical presence of Jesus. Thy kingdom come. You get to go forth from here saying, these are, these are what the scars look like. This is what the, the pain looks like. But I've met the risen Jesus. And along the way, you get to usher them over a period of time into a conversation that goes from doubt to my Lord, my God. See, Jesus shows up not only in Christianity, if you're new to this. The Jews wrote about him and said that he was a miracle worker. The, the Jews wrote about him and, and said that he was crucified. The Jews wrote about him and said that he was born a Mary. Islam, the second largest religion in the world, say Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is sitting at God's right hand. Jesus will return again. Hindus, followers of the Hindu faith, say Jesus is divine. Jesus is a holy man. Jesus was good. Buddhists say the same. He's a great teacher. He lived a good life. He's someone you should follow. He's a great example. He too is divine. I say on the process of proclaiming my Lord, my God, that 84% of the world believes in one of those faiths. Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindi, Buddhist. And there's no joke about who Jesus is. What I believe differently is that he wasn't just a good guy. He wasn't just a prophet. That Jesus wasn't just a teacher. Jesus wasn't just a miracle worker. Jesus wasn't just born a Mary. Jesus wasn't just crucified. I believe he rose again. I believe that on Resurrection Sunday, this Jesus went further than anyone should have to ever go. He paid the price for us. He paid the debt for us. He came after us in a way that no other God, lowercase g, could ever do. He was our miracle-working God. Luke 15 says that he leaves the 99 and comes after the one. My hope for you today is that if you're sitting in doubt, if you're sitting in question, if you've been hurt by the church, if you've been hurt by fellow believers, if you've been hurt by a pastor, if the church has failed you, hurt you in any way, and they've done the same thing to me too. My hope is that we'll be on the road together from doubt to proclaiming my Lord, my God. Stand with me and let's, let's proclaim him. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.